Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry. iConnections membership only platform brings together the asset management community, providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually. With an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers, their community oversees an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively. iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in-person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt Eye Connections in New York taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about Eye Connections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. Hello, listener. You're listening to On the Tape. I am Dan Nathan. I am here with my co-host, Danny Moses. By the way, is Guy running in the election on Sunday in Italy? Why isn't he back yet? What is going on? Do you think a- head-to-head versus Berlusconi, he, he would probably he crush him? Oh, he would Guy crush Tom him, right? Guy is an yeah. Adonis. Yeah. I mean, yeah. All right. Well, Guy will be back next week, but in his stead, we have Stuart Sop. He is the CEO and co-founder of Current. He has been a guest on this fine podcast. You've also been a guest on OK Computer. Stuart, welcome back to On the Tape. Thank you guys for having me. This is awesome. Well, listen, we wanted to have Stuart this week. We planned this a while ago. Stuart is an ex-macro trader. He traded globally. You were in, what, Singapore. You were in Hong Kong. You were in London. You were last in New York at Morgan Stanley. You were a rates trader. You're a a currency trader, correct? Yep. So we're going to hit the macro here, but Danny Moses. Yes. We just got to start with this Fed, what the Fed said. I mean, what they didn't say. You and I have been doing this a long time. You have not traded actively, Stuart, in a very long time, but you watch the markets very, very closely, and you run a company that not a bank, but it is a fintech company. By the way, thankfully, he's not a bank, because we'll get to that with these debts sitting on people's We bank. will get to that. But the action that we saw, not just in the stock market, in the currency market, in the yield market, commodities, if anything, which have been crazy, have actually seemed really calm right now. Let's just talk about, we're recording this Thursday into the close here. One other thing, people. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to every podcast that we do. I listen on one and a quarter. I think we sound really good on one and a quarter. I talk pretty let, fast. Let's, let's talk. Let's, <laughs> just, talk, I, I talk so let's fast. just talk at one and a quarter. Right. Can we do that? Well, okay, then, let, let's then do that. it would really right. be one and a half. If it was a spinal tap. You put it on 11. 11. Okay. Right, I want to start right. out with this. Right, while I'm watching it. the press conference yesterday. The presser. Don't the, they call it the presser? The presser, right? Yeah. In a world where one man throws common sense out the window, enter stagflation. All I could think of when I saw their stupid dot plots again, like there's no common sense here at all. They are taking down GDP. And now they're focused on PCE, which is like the one thing you got to look at. But what are we doing? You have to get to 2%. Do you need anyone to tell you that's happening? Let me just say this. If they had just aired the same way, his quote was, hope for the best, plan for the worst. He didn't do that during the transitory period. Where he was, he did the opposite. He waited and waited. So now he's completely on the other side. There was no common sense here. I cannot believe that the Fed fund futures were correct actually going into that meeting of four and a quarter 
ending at four and a half type number. I still don't think we get there. Dan, yes, I'm going to owe you the five grand because they're obviously yes, you will. not cutting in December. Just, you know, that sounded like a trailer for the Avatar movie that's coming out that no one's going to By see the way, this weekend. We won't oh talk God. about shorting AMC anymore, but literally, yeah. that's where you're going to the movie store is yeah. a remake of Avatar. Yeah. Anyway. All right, well, Stuart, when, when you're sitting, even at your fine offices in Flatiron, you're running this company, you got a lot of things going on here, but I'm assuming that the old trader, the old macro trader in you is sitting in front of your screens. You're watching CNBC on a day like yesterday. Absolutely. Yeah. Almost more than that is that when you're running a fintech, not a bank, yeah. uh, <laughs> there's a few moving parts in that. Of course, we have a savings rate. There's liquidity being drained from the banking, and that's why a uh, network uh, banking system, and that's why Jamie Dimes always complaining. He's like, there's a risk here, because for the first time in just over a decade, we've seen net deposits come out. And so he's panicking, and the system is panicking on the liquidity of the plumbing. And I think that's fair, or at least semi-fair. And then I think in terms of how it directly affects us, we've got like a VC community, investing yeah. uh, community. And there's no stability in the crossover funds, the people who just before IPO, you know, you fund those high growth companies all the way down to something like a Series A, Series B. And there's one thing they're all focused on, and it's inflation. And the reason why is because inflation affects the rates market, which affects the cost of capital, which affects the price of equities, which affects the public market comps of the private companies of which we're in. So it's a human centipede of excitement that's coming all the way down here. But it does ultimately affect the VC community, the private company community, and more importantly for us, obviously, the fintech community. For all those reasons, the funding reasons, as well as the products we're offering to our consumers. And it's changed so quickly. Let me just say this. Those are private companies, but I have no sympathy at all for people that own public companies that do not trade on fundamentals because they got what they, you know. You got what you deserve. Yeah, they got what they deserve. And so sell them. Like you don't say, we can get into those single names later, but something's going to break here in the market, right? You can't have these type of moves. Something's going to break. Things are just feel like they're cracking by the second, but something's truly going to break here. I don't know what that's going to be. I'd love to get your thoughts on what it's going to be. We have Currencies moving everywhere. There's just too much but, happening. But, but it's funny. So Danny has spent a lot of time in the podcast talking about some of like the kinks in the armor over the last year as it relates to consumer. Guy has said this for years and years, and he and I have been doing Fast Money for over 10 years together. He's been doing it for 16 years, but he has this saying about the consumer, never bet against their want to spend. It really is their ability to spend. And I think some of the things that, Danny, you've been highlighting for over a year, some of these models, like a Carvana model, which to you is just a subprime lending model wrapped up in a used car yeah. dealer or something yeah. like that. Talk to us a little bit about like what you're seeing from the consumer behavior of your users. Yeah, and very important for us personally at current, but also maybe a bellwether and indicator for the broader health of the economy. We are banking probably the bottom two decile tracks of America, people who are living paycheck to paycheck, trying to make it work, blue-collar workers primarily. It's inflation, and it's high inflation, and they primarily spend on staples. So it's gas, it's shelter, it's food, and that's not going away. So basically, they're getting less for their money. The demand for credit is massive. We've seen that in the credit card numbers that have gone ballistic. We've seen it in the BNPL numbers that have gone ballistic. Now, the CFBB wants to come in and start regulating that as well. I think in the short term, we have seen a focus on being smart about your money. So people are going, okay, if I go to this ATM and it charges $5, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to go to the free ATM. And we've seen that behavioral shift. But what we haven't seen is any cut down or cut back in spend on the things that they actually need, obviously, right? So, And they're filling the gap with sort of easy, cheap-ish debt at this first cut. I think a lot of companies are also well-funded. So we're in this sort of transition phase. We're in this phase where everyone's making do. And so everyone's pushing the boats out. And I think there's a lot of fragility 
being built this year with our consumers, but also with the broader population of, of it, It's interesting. So that's the consumer. And on the corporate side, like you just said, I mean, corporate balance sheets are in pretty good spots, right? There was a lot of capital yeah. raised when money was free for a while. I mean, Danny, talk a little bit about that because you've been harping on these BMPL models and just really what you were seeing because we started seeing kind of defaults. We started seeing default rates yeah. ticking up before the markets really felt bad earlier this year or so. And so, again, this push and pull between the U.S. consumer that is clearly weakening on the low end. You highlighted this a couple weeks ago. I mean, Walmart talked about a couple weeks ago how they're seeing a new consumer that they haven't seen, a high-end consumer trading down a little bit. But are we about to see this in corporate earnings for Q3 when we see them rolled out over the next few weeks? We've seen some big pre-announcements. We talked about a few of them last week or so. Is this start to seep into the corporates here? Well, the first thing is the buy now, pay later, BNPL, which I called short now, cover later. <laughs> at the time, you're starting to see the upstarts, the world, the yeah. firms, the Klarna's, which is private, raise money at a much lower valuation. There's no artificial intelligence that works for lending. Vinny always says you cannot grow GDP. If you outgrow GDP over a period of time, you have underwriting problems. So no one's reinventing the wheel there. So if you're a consumer and you want to use it, Great. It's a great source of capital. If you need it, you can do it. But I don't believe those companies long-term. And now the banks that they use, the rent banks that they use to cross rivers of the world are pulling back. So now these companies are forced to balance sheet the loans themselves. That's exactly what happened in the subprimes in 2005 and six when the big banks started to pull the funding from them. So let's just put that in one category. Yep. So what we're seeing now, behavior of a consumer using miles to travel, right? right? But someone tweeted at me about how do you reconcile the people going out. I'm like, I think we're still in the kind of post-COVID celebration mode. Not everyone's invested in the stock market, right? right. People are out kind of enjoying themselves. Most people themselves. are high, actually. Right. And so compare it to the last cycles, this cycle, every cycle is different, but this one is the most different. And why is it the most different? Because there's no Fed coming. Rates are going one direction. There's no incremental buyer, I believe, of assets, of bonds, of equities. Who is the incremental buyer of these things? Everything will have its price. It will move down. But as far as companies go and how they're preparing, the good companies are preparing. They're telling you what's happening with the consumer. Walmart's telling you in real time what's happening with the consumer. FedEx is telling you what's happening with companies, clients of theirs that's going on. They're adjusting. Those are good companies. They're going to be around. They're going to be fine. They're quality. But we haven't seen it yet. That's kind of the point is that the thing that's holding the stock market, the S&P 500, which is only down, what, 21 or so percent on the year, are a handful of stocks. So we just saw Microsoft and Google, which are more than $3.5 trillion in market cap, so two of the largest in the top five of the S&P and obviously the NASDAQ, they just made new 52-week lows. But Amazon and Apple, which are also about $4 trillion in market cap, they're still up 20 percent. Now, there's tons of stocks. There are dozens of dozens of stocks in the S&P 500 that have been cut in half here. So it is a multiple thing on some of the largest weighted stocks in the major indices. It is. Can I back up and go to the Fed again for a second? Yeah, because we're not I don't done. Think, I don't think Let's we spent enough time. I think Stuart wants to I go back. Fentil. I'm just looking at, I'm looking at the dot plot. <laughs> okay, so, let's do it. Since dot you started plot. the show, you started laughing at me 19, 20 months ago. Yeah. When I first mentioned dot, dot plot, plot, you go, whatever, Danny. No one yeah, And it is absurd because of how they use it. So they are now a GDP growth. So in June, they were predicting 1.7% for 2022. They are at 0.2. Okay, okay. Hello. For 2023, they were at 1.7. They're at 1.2. Unemployment. Somehow they think we're only going to end up at 4.4% in 2023 and 24 based on what they're doing. They're just effing clueless. Like, I honestly... Wait, wait. It do is, you think... So 4.4% unemployment off of a 3.5% low... Do you think that's low? Well, let me say this. So, so in the last 75 years, I think Bank of America put this out today, that you cannot have more than half a point increase in unemployment without a recession. It's never well, Rosie's happened. said that on our podcast no, a few months ago. No, but it's just asinine. My, my whole point is that why do you have to – and listen, 
I don't necessarily, I'm not bullish. Yeah. But at the same time, common sense, why do you have to hammer? Why can't you just go 50? Why can't you just take a pause? What's the risk? I know what they think the risk is. They think it's a wage price spiral that he was so excited to have credibility yesterday. Yeah. When anyone asked him a question, if you noticed, he would look down at his notes to answer certain questions. Like he would look down, I am as hawkish as I was in Jackson Hole. Make no mistake, I'm going to be here to do this. But <laughs> something's going to break here, right? And let me just say this I'm not a fan of economists in general because whatever. But the last non-economist to run the Fed, he's not an economist. And yeah. Guy, if you're not going to listen to this, so it doesn't matter. But he is a Georgetown graduate degree. He has a law degree from Georgetown, so that's great. Princeton undergrad, right? But Who, Jay Powell? He's not, yeah. Oh, wow. Smart guy, yeah. but not an economist. The last non-economist was replaced by Paul Volcker, right? 1978 to Who's 1979. That? William G. William Miller. Wait, wait, wait. William wow. Miller? The protagonist in Almost Famous? <laughs> Exactly. I'm flying high over Wall Street with America's hottest podcasters, and we're all about to die. That's perfect. Exactly right. right? That's pretty good. If you follow at Sop Stew on the Twitter, <laughs> he doesn't have any like weird numbers no after numbers. his names. That, that might, yeah. All right. He doesn't have Walter Payton's number after there. But you, you are a Fed critic. I, I don't a think you're, you're, you seem to. <laughs> I'm in good company. You look through the Twitter there. There's a lot there. What, what was your takeaway? And Danny made the point, okay, the policy errors were made in 20. 2021, they kept their foot on the pedal for way too long, and then the transitory nonsense, whatever. But now the aggressiveness, and really at this point, we've seen the stock market roll over. We've seen housing start to weaken, and it feels like it's going to get a lot weaker. So we're going to have that negative wealth effect for consumers. The last piece of the puzzle is that unemployment rate. That's why I kind of stopped you on that 4.4%, because I've seen a lot of strategists say, listen, if they keep going to 4.5% in Fed funds, we're going to have high single digits. And that's without a crisis. Think about the last two times that we had high single digits unemployment was the financial crisis and then the black swan event, which was the pandemic. So where should unemployment be? And this is really important. Pre-pandemic, you remember we were talking about things like universal basic income because the bots, the machines were going to take all the low end jobs. Well, the low end is where the wage increases have come. So I'm curious how you think about that. What are your major criticisms of the Fed right here, right now, and what they're expected to do between now and the end of the year? And then this unemployment thing, I think, is a really important piece of the puzzle. Yeah, right on. I think the Fed, dare I say it, the Fed is political. I think everything's political now. And the reason why I say it, I can back it up because Jay Powell basically held his foot off the gas while he got renominated back in December last year. And then all of a sudden, inflation wasn't a problem until he got his renomination. And then he came clean once he got it and said, actually, we've got to get going. And so it was a political problem for, you know, this is the function that we so have. So a quick here. one. The next Fed meeting is November 2nd. Yeah. It's exactly one week before, before yeah. the midterms. Yeah. Do you think, is there a chance that they basically get yeah. a little dovish? I mean, I'm yeah. just saying, you know. 100%. I mean, you think so? 100%. They'll talk it. They won't do it, maybe, but they'll talk it. Everything's got out of control. I think Stan Druckenmiller said that, and it's one of his stats, that when inflation crosses 5%, we have never seen a Fed funds rate that hasn't gone above it. So you're going to have to hope that it comes down to four. You're talking about things breaking. We're not pricing out some really bad things happening here. They're not coming to save us. If their primary mandate, they've got dual mandate. So they've got the inflation mandate, which is primary in my view, and then unemployment, full employment. They're going to kill employment. They've already said they would over inflation. So they're just going to keep going until they get it under control. And also when you talk to economists, the smart guys, these central bankers and the rest, they kind of really don't know how inflation works, right? They still kind of don't know. And so they're playing with the system. And so hopefully it's about now. Maybe it's done now and maybe the next 75 or 125 is too much and they can unwind it quickly, but we just don't know. And I think the uncertainty going into the – from this point on, from this high con, 
This is where I get really, really scared and uncertain. This is the most dangerous part, I think. I agree. And I was saying this, like, I'm not going to waste any more emotions, like, hating on the... It is what it is. I'm going to adjust to what they're doing. Yeah. I'm going to let fundamentals play out long. You're going to be right in the longer term. You just have to deal with this volatility. So I'm not looking for them to panacea. I'm not looking for anything to happen. So what am I going to do now? I believe, and we'll talk about this later, that the long-term yields for the U.S. are close to peaking here. And now, if they're not, I'm still willing to buy them here, knowing that I think they're going to come down here. So Buy treasuries, short yields. Really quickly for the listener, and again, just so you know, I mean, I've done that. I bought the GOVT. It's the iShares U.S. Treasury ETF. Yeah. So if you're buying that, you're making a bet that yields come down. Another way to do it would be the TLT. You and I talked about it on a market call earlier in the week. Yep. The TLT is the 20-year U.S. Treasury ETF. So you want to be careful here because those kind of near-term rates might stay well bid, but the long-term ones reflective of growth or slowing growth are the ones that are probably going to come in first. Now, Danny, I just got to ask you this, though, because we just saw the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield break out above that prior high from a few months ago at 3.5%, and it broke out in a meaningful way. And my buddy BK, Brian Kelly from Fast Money, was talking about this on our call earlier today, the BOJ intervention and what we're seeing now. Talk a little bit about that, because that changes the complexity. Talk about what it means when you have these central banks selling U.S. Treasuries? Well, for the first time since 1988, BOJ is actually intervening and buying the yen. That's the first time now. Their entire reserves is just over a trillion dollars, I believe. So I think the world global currency trading is $6 trillion a day. So they have a little bit to fight for, but not a ton. So I think the yen went from 145 to 140 I don't know where it's sitting now. As that thing weakens again, weakens when it goes higher for everyone out there. If it goes back to 145 146 again, These are the things that could break in the system. But you have everyone around the world, not everybody, not China, not Japan, raising rates, except for them, basically. And so all the other currencies are getting dismantled. Japan imports basically everything. All their their fuel, right? The food, their energy, everything. So they're at this point. Now, Kuroda, who runs Bank of Japan, came out yesterday and said, we're not raising rates. But then today they come out. So it's a lot of talk. It's a lot of whatever. But that's what scares me is once you get an announcement like that, if it doesn't work and doesn't hold – this is where things can possibly right. Break. And just real quick, the knock on a fact: when you see the ten year break out like that, what was the knee jerk reaction? The futures got nailed. This is pre opening when that headline came out. So U.S. stock futures, that is. I think we're entering this zone where the market has this recursive or reflexive feedback loops centered around exceptional breaks and dislocations in asset classes and the relative correlations to them. And something like a Kuroda and a Bank of Japan saying, hey, actually, we can't afford our fuel anymore and to heat housing. We're an export nation. They also export a bunch of cool stuff. Like Walkmans and stuff like that? Yeah, Yeah. like Toyotas and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was a guy joke. Sorry about the dad joke, people. Casio watches or whatever they do. But on balance, they're just saying this is terrible for us. But can they really plug that hole? And so I was on this podcast a few months ago and I said, look, watch out for the dollar wrecking ball. We'll see 3,600 in the S&P. And here we are. We kind of nailed it. We kind of nailed it. Yeah, that's pretty good. What I do think is we've already seen that bear market rally. We're going to 2,900. We're going to, I think we're going to overcorrect. Wow. Yeah. I think we're going to overcorrect. I don't think it's a straight line. So don't go out there and buy puts. Yeah. (laughs) Because you look at the VIX. VIX isn't moving because everyone's buying puts. It's like the world's most amount of buying a put. So uh, so, so that's not the the Wait, so your point is the smart money has it right. Hedge funds are all bared up. That's one of the things that's really interesting, Danny. You see these AAII, you know, these kind of bull bear sentiment sort of things. And they're reaching heights back to 2008 levels. But you have a VIX that just stuck here at like 25, 26, 27 or something like that. So the smart money, and I'm doing air quotes here, people, you can't see me, they're already hedged up. 
it all comes down to leverage. It comes down to leverage on the corporate I've balance sheet. I've heard you sheet. say that before. It's down on to this leverage, leverage on the hedge funds. Yeah. And when you take leverage down and you degross, it has a very destabilizing impact on the markets. And you have these type of moves in the S and P and other assets that you see. The one thing that was interesting that the Fed did say was asked point blank about would you actually go out right and sell mortgage-backed securities? And he was actually very ready for that question. He goes, nope, not going to do it. Nope, nope, not going to do it. But at the same time, he said, until he sees rents come down, he's not going to assume that rents are going to come down as far as shelter costs go. My whole point is that common sense tells you that with rates up here, that housing is slowing and it's going to happen. With housing, though, pricing coming down and rates, obviously mortgage rates, the 30-year above 6%, doesn't it only mean that rents are going to go up, the demand for rent? And that's something that that's your backyard as far as your consumer a little bit. Exactly right. Yeah. So a large percentage of our consumers are renters. We focus on a younger demographic. They're trying to save to get into housing, but they're at the stage where they're primarily renting, seeing much more pain. I think what's going to happen is more transitions for going back home, living with the parents, trying to share with the friends, all those things. So let's talk about New York rent. I realize that there's other cities in the country. I realize that, you know, Seattle, L.A., Miami, Florida is its own thing. And we've been talking about this on the show for a year, over a year. The housing thing has been very secular where it's been, right? It's been very people moving to Florida. There's a secular move there, et cetera. We know that New York, you can pretend, yeah, Google's here. Yes, tech companies have come. At the end of the day, it's Wall Street that drives. It is. That's right. It drives the commercial real estate. It drives the residential real estate. With You start to really. see things <laughs> like Citrix debt getting hung and an 800 $700, $800 million write down and billions of more behind it on several other deals. That's common sense to me. So there's an article actually today in the Times or the Journal about New York rentals have finally plateaued. And I've always said how Wall Street-centric some of these investors are in Boston and New York. They only see what's going on around them. Those are the people that are managing the money. They don't tend to take a broader picture. And when it hits home, and that's why it took so long in 2005 and six to seep into people, because it was the last cities to really get hit. They weren't paying attention to what was going on in middle America. Is my life changing? And we I think saw now, you in the strip bar in people, Tampa, uh, in, people, in, the, in the movie, The Big but, Short. No, we did. I, I did see yeah, that. Yeah, you know what they said in there? What? Let's welcome Dan Nathan from stage. Congratulations, <laughs> Dan Nathan. Happy birthday, No, no, buddy. but that's a really, yeah. that's, yeah. you made this point a lot, and I think it's interesting because Guy and I, we've been sitting on a set in midtown Manhattan and Times Square talking about markets, talking about the economy from that very perch that you're talking about. And sometimes that's where all the strategists, all the economists, that's where all the hedge fund guys, for the most part, and we all tend to look and see what's exactly in our backyard. I want to go back to Stewart's 2900, not in a straight line and not investment advice, people, as as he says. So, Danny, you were saying things that you are doing. So you're interested in TLT. So you're interested in making or expressing a view that U.S. Treasury yields are going to come in. What's your time horizon on that? Let's say the 10-year that just broke out at three and a half, if it were get, it was at two and a half three months ago. Yep. I think over the next month, I, I think we'll see the really? high here. Like sh- I think, listen, the way so these could it be tri- into this political dovish commentary on November 2nd? Like there'll be a trial balloon floated in the Wall Street Journal. That's how this happens. And then you'll see yields peak out. You'll see the dollar, the U.S. dollar come in a little yeah. bit, yep. right? Yep. Okay, so, that may be back to trend. What uh-huh. else you got, Danny? Let well, me ask you a question. Yeah. What economic data point could possibly come out now that could create any more hawkishness that is existing? I don't think well, there's... Well, the CPI, no. PC... Like, no, but, like but I'm saying on a relative basis right. to, to this terminal value of where, where they think rates are going to be. Like, to me, that's kind of done. So if I think about it that way, I don't think the Fed can get any more hawkish. So now what's going to happen? We are going to have so many dirty Friday night dirties coming out on... Yeah. on it, it's going to start this Friday, I, I would think, into the quarter, going into the holiday week, eight days of atonement, which... 
I'm first in line to atone for a lot of things, but a lot of wait, things wait, which, which holiday are we selling and what are we buying? Are we buying Rosh Hashanah or selling Rosh Hashanah by Yom Kippur? Uh, I, I just to be really clear, because Stewart yeah. doesn't seem to yeah. be in tune he with knows. our people, yeah. our trading Whatever. strategies. But my, point is that, <laughs> but my point is that now's the time, right? Lay it out there. Give your pre-announcement out and set it. So what I'm saying is I think fundamentals, again, will win in the end of the day. And so I'm confident that over time we'll start to obsess on the Fed. We can be angry and whatever and think they're wrong, but it is what it is. They've given you the setup. And now we know. You look at companies that have a lot of debt on their balance sheet. You look at companies that are going to have to refinance. You look at deals that are out there that are getting hung. You have hundreds of billions right, of so dollars. Deals getting hung. Can I break in here for a second? Oh, and again, you worked at a few investment banks. and, and Explain and, to the audience what I mean when I say deals getting well, hung. No, I mean, so basically, a lot of these banks committed a lot of capital for LBOs or private equity deals or this or whatever, and now they're trying to like recut them, taking losses, basically, because... Not just taking losses, balance sheeting the loans themselves. Correct. So yeah. they were warehousing them. Yep, yeah, exactly. All right. So here's one thing that's really interesting. Look at J.P. Morgan. I, I harp on this a lot. This stock is down nearly 28% in the year. It's the worst acting major U.S. banks. So that's a large money center. On a relative basis, Wells and City and Bank act much better. That's just over this last period or whatever. This chart is about to break down. 110 is a level here. Stu, put your hat on here. Look at my fine fact set chart here. You don't have enough candlesticks on here. Hold on. <laughs> Not enough TA. <laughs> See that Look gap going back to late 2020 That's here? A gap, okay. Though. That's a gap down to, yeah, I mean, yeah. 105 is coming to theater near you. What, is, what does that kind of mean to you if the largest bank in the world, and they haven't had any charge-offs, they haven't, there's no GFC stuff going on here, right? Danny, you've been saying this, the bank's well-capitalized, good shape. Why does this bank act so badly? Because I say, when you look at the XLF, stop trading ETFs and look at, like, every bank is You different. don't like the fact the largest holdings Berkshire Hathaway and the XLF? No, actually, that's, you should probably just own that. I mean, that, <laughs> you want to own in a rising rate environment, they, you know their yeah. portfolio, they own energy. That's the whole point, Dan. Joking aside, go buy Berkshire. Yeah. The Wall Street banks are different than, so Wells Fargo, yes, they have some Wall Street aspects, but they're a consumer bank. Bank America, who got hung on the Citrix deal. Yeah. Goldman Sachs got hung on the Citrix. So we know what's in the, so what are the earnings going to look like? So the debt issuance, money's been free now for, it's not free anymore. Yeah. Money was free for 12 years. Like it's not free anymore. So everything changes. That whole readjustment of people understanding what that looks like. Loan loss reserves on the consumer side of a bank, right? Write-offs on the corporate side of a bank. What that means, Stuart's going to see firsthand some of his smaller private companies that'll get funding. Yeah. But if they didn't model it correctly, they're going back and rebuilding their models based upon higher discount rate. We're in a new, new, and that's what we have to kind of adjust down to. So I like to look at these things on the banks overall, but then you got to do bottom up on each of them. And again, when the S&P does go to 2,900, and I'm with you, I think it gets near 3,000 and yeah. air is 100 points on the other side. What do you want to own when they throw everything out of there, right, coming back? And that's what I think is important right now to understand. Yeah, I think it's important to look at what is leading from a, a low. Say we're right, 2,900 to 3,300, somewhere there. No one can really be. Oh, we're right. We're right. We're always <laughs> right. right. <laughs> ahead, we're sorry. not wrong. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's important to look at what leads out of that. You know, it's old equity trading theory, right? So if it's defensive or energy or anything like that, it's like, all right, maybe not. We just saw this bull trap rally. I'd want to see some high tech come out and some of the bigger techs. But first, you've already mentioned it, as we said in this hour, you've got to see some of these generals, these big tech companies, layoffs. They've got to do something. Now, what I heard is they have a 13% attrition per annum. And so at the moment, in their mind, what they're trying to do is say, hey, we're just not going to replace. So we'll see a 30% contraction, and we'll do this for about a year, year and a half. We'll have a 20% effective reduction in force by not actually doing anything and, and pissing anyone off. And so they're not really hiring. Of course, they'll hire certain people, but they're not really hiring broad-based. And so that's their mindset right now. Now, if the Fed pushes everyone out and this dovish thing in the next couple of weeks doesn't really work and stick, I think they're going to have to capitulate into the new year and start maybe actually removing some people. And that's when... 
they're doing it because of the earnings, right? That's all the dirty stuff that you're talking about. They're going to have to reprice some of these big, large cap equities, Apple and the rest of it. Then we start to see that slide into the low. Then you want to see how they behave from that. Listen, and we know the way markets work. I mean, they will move ahead of those actual events happening. And so, again, I do think that in this late October period with Q3 earnings and Q4 guidance, I think there's going to be a couple bombshells. I think that it might be a a Microsoft. I'm not exactly sure, but if you look at like a Meta, which just announced that they are going to do a riff for all intents and purposes, 10% of their workforce. Some people would say after the hiring, they had headcount growth of north of 20% a year for like a couple years or something. They probably have more to go. It just seems like a lot of those massive hirers over the last few years or so, we're going to see that coming. And again, if you can't control a lot of the other input costs and you're starting to see weakening demand, the one thing you could do is lower your headcount a bit. And so to me, I think the stock market has a chance of capitulating. The pre-pandemic high was 3430. Yeah. So maybe we overshoot it to your point, Danny, a little bit. Yeah, listen, this time of year is always a little bit dicey. So let me ask you this, Danny, because I'm looking at, and Stuart, we had a fireside chat. I was in your offices earlier in the week. Thanks for coming. Yeah, no, it it was awesome. And it was great to meet. I I know a lot of your team, but it was great to meet a lot of the people who work there and some of the questions that they had. And one of the points that I wanted to make is that a lot of people who are working hard, they have their heads down, they they have their jobs and they have their families and they're doing the stuff that they do. They look at the stock market as a monolith. They think of the S&P 500. Some people are still quoting the Dow. I don't know why. And some people, if you're in tech, you're maybe just focused on the NASDAQ. And if you look at those major indices, there are dozens and dozens of stocks that have crashed, like for all intents and purposes, are down 70 80%. They feel like October 2002, if you had bought internet stocks into that. But they're probably sitting around, well, it feels really bad because I bought this stock because my pal worked over there or this and that or whatever, and it's down 80%. But why is it that the stock market's only down 21% or something like that? And so I think that's a really good point is that it's only going to take a handful of stocks to really let us know, to ring the bell that we might have capitulation. Is that fair? Yeah, I agree. And we talked about this before. If your shorts are working, and you find yourself owning a lot more of these, quote, high-quality companies, the commanders, the captains, whatever you want to call them, that are out there, you realize that you actually have to start taking them down because they actually become bigger. The way math works, they actually become bigger as a percentage of your portfolio. So it's not that they're not good companies. But again, I want to say one more thing on this Citrix deal because I think it encompasses everything that happened. It was a $16 billion LBO. They were taking it private just over 100 bucks a share. They announced it in January. So in January, if you remember, like we hadn't raised rates yet. You know what also still- happened in January? We had Microsoft time. paid $70 billion for Activision. Where's Barry Diller by? Don't get oh, me wrong. Oh, oh, Barry Diller. Good point. Is the yeah. options trading yeah. in front of that? Yeah, Dave oh, Geffen, a calls. prolific options trader. Somehow. Well, there was also, and there was uh, Toma Brava, a, a PE firm. They were buying software companies at big multiples of sales. Let, let, well, here's the thing. Adobe just paid, and we talked about $20, 20 billion, $20 billion. Yeah. You know, for a company. It's still happening, I No, guess. I know, but there's one thing to do it with debt, and there's one thing to do it with stock and cash. A whole other deal. So anyway, the debt was... Eight and a half billion of debt, which is going to be brought in association. It's the debt got priced at ninety-one cents on one tranche and eighty-four cents on another. Six or seven hundred million, with the banks themselves taking down the majority of it. And Elliot, who was the leader of this LBO on Citrix, taking a billion dollars themselves. Vista, I don't think, took any of it. They were partners with them as well. But when you think about that, to me, it encompasses okay, money was free, you can get away with those deals. Those deals are gone. There is a price for a deal, but it doesn't exist there because now with rates where they are and a company's cash flowing, that's great, but the numbers all change. And that's the whole point about repricing risk when rates move higher. It's that simple, it's just math. And so that's why Stuart's right on 2,900 or close because the re-rate that's gonna happen, people are gonna realize it's not a quick cycle, it's a secular move here. We're out of a 12, 13 year phenomenon and the Fed is actually, 
selling treasuries, right? But that being said, we're going to invert more. Let me just finish. And I do believe I'm a buyer of the 10, the 20-year bonds. Two-year, it's going to be tough to move right now until the Fed actually does have a pivot, given it's still catching up to where it might go. But the higher the two-year goes, the more certain I am that the 10-year yields are going to drop because the more certain I am of funding costs and what that's going to do, right, Stuart? So, I mean, your thoughts on that? I mean, is that logical? Nothing in this market is logical. No, it was unfair on the way up, and it was unfair on the way down. (laughs) So someone said to me the other day, when there's free money, you get paid for future cash flow returns. When there's a cost of money or a decent cost of money, you get paid for cash flow returns today. And so everyone's gone defensive, and they've had to rewrite their models, like you said. And so this is a massive digestion problem, whereby we're just really swallowing, (laughs) swallowing it here. And I think the Fed, we've already said it a couple of times, the Fed is on the wrong side of this trade. And it's the first time we've had a policy error for a long time. Then we have deglobalization. We have macro events. We've had an oil shock plus a potential nuclear war in Europe on the doorstep of Europe. And so I'm sure the Ukrainians call themselves European now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's probably Europe. And so we've just not seen the confluence of these factors, well, ever, right? And so everyone's looking at things going, they're just not being frightful enough or they've been conditioned in the way that things will just v-shape and be fine and i think it's worth without selling fear and all the rest it's just worth thinking okay maybe it isn't just perfectly fine we should prepare for some of these deeper retracements i agree when you have pe's that were trading north of 20 price earnings multiple on the s&p we're drifting now in the high teens dan i don't know where we sit right now on 22 numbers exactly 17 times probably not forward 12 i'm just saying 20 All that was predicated on rates being kind of low because you'd have to go back and look, and I don't have in front of me, Dan, you could probably get to it, but when rates were this high, what was the PE multiple on the S&P? What does it look like? And I know it's going lower. So the question is, when do we get to the cycle where we build all of this in, where companies have adjusted their business models, where the consumer's kind of okay? And to your point, Stuart, it's probably in 23 at some point. Q2, Q3, I think. Right. So when you start to look at what that trough, maybe that's the trough earnings because the Fed, as we know, will probably be cutting sooner than we think, but that's another bet, Dan, for another day. Mm-hmm. But if that's coming, they'll start to advance and they'll say, okay, you'll pay a premium multiple when you think you have the trough earnings. But I don't believe we're anywhere. So just to keep it general, if we're 215 or $220, per share on the S&P 500 or somewhere in that realm, I believe we make it towards the 200 level. I believe we get to a, a height of mid-teens, 14 or 15 multiple, which is where you get your 2,800 to 3,000. And from there, we got to see how this thing plays out. But to your point, factor in all the geopolitical stuff going on. I can't remember a time when I've been an adult where things have been worse or more unsettled. That's the other problem here. And so there's a lot of things you have to wage. Yes, professional investors get paid to put money in the market. They get paid to allocate, overweight certain sectors. Then there's retail, and then there's hedge funds, there's everybody else. So everybody has a different angle of where we're going. Sorry, You, you know what's interesting? I almost think that Tim Cook or Satya Nadella- Tim Apple? Would, would, uh, Tim Apple. <laughs> I, I think that they would almost be doing Jay Powell a big favor with like a material guide down for like the But damn, like we already tried quarter. that. But, Oh, because it's everyone owns it. What I'm saying, because passive, and you like to you know yeah. talk about that. Think about how many ETF funds or how oh, the many Mike mutual Green, funds. Professor Plum situation where it'll just unwind one day. Well, I mean, but think about it. If they were to like just get, reset the stage, that's how you get that S and P multiple down to mid to low teens, and then you're doing the favor on the stock market. Housing is going to do what it is. It gives them a path forward to take their pedal off the metal a little bit, in my opinion. Listen, there's a lot of. Fed experts out there that have Not worked us. at the New York Fed oh, yeah. that understand the plumbing of the system. I won't get wonky here, but something's going to break here because Stuart brought up a point here at the very beginning about deposit rates have to start to move higher. People will start to pull money out of the banking system. That has repercussions. You don't think about it that way, but when you leave the deposits and there's right and cash leaves, so something might break in the reverse repo market 
That's Guy's favorite thing. He won't listen to this. He won't yeah. remember it. No. But Say whatever some, you want something's going to happen there. That may be where it ends up happening, right? Because you're just going to have just the crazy volatility right now and uncertainty going on. And so I don't know if that's what it's going to be. You have thoughts yeah, on it's, it's so hard to know what's going to break, isn't it? And I'm probably in my most uncertain stage of this secular bear that we're seeing. Also, on the positive side, I don't think it's over. It's important to remember that I don't think this is over for the world or over for America. I think there's a repricing for assets. It's a deflation of these things. We spent too long pumping them up. I think it's actually relatively healthy because whoever's left is going to be great. So I think that's important to remember. In terms of what shoe's going to drop, there's so many. I think the banking system is one of them, but they're normally pretty healthy because of those capital ratios. are significantly different. Although they're now getting eaten by LBO debt, but yes, yeah. please continue. <laughs> right. please when continue. they're not being eaten yeah, by yeah, LBO debt. Yeah. That's, a, that's a good point, right? And so, well, yeah, look at Goldman Markets. Great conflation of consumer and Wall Street stuff, and they came out with billions of dollars of losses on both sides. Well, let me say, Dan, before you go, and I'm only going to talk about meme stocks for two seconds. Go ahead. Five seconds. I know I always say I use them as a barometer. Yeah. People, please listen to me. If you think Bed Bath & Beyond is getting debt done at any price that's reasonable, do you really believe it's a... So those models, yeah, you can be there traded. If I just get my money back, sell it. Yeah. Sell it. All right. So, so we've seen... I'm not even... I'm not so, involved No, but this it, is a way. good segue. Okay. This is the last point. We're going to let Stuart get out of here. We've seen meme stock gets killed. We've seen SPACs get killed. We've seen crypto get killed. We've seen NFTs and that stuff. It's, it's done. It's over for now. Stuart and I have had some really good conversations on crypto, his origins. He and his co-founder, Trevor Marshall, they go back. They read the Bitcoin white paper when they were still trading currencies and Morgan Stanley. Yeah, 2011. You know, yeah, you know, so 11 years ago. These guys, they believe in a lot of stuff. Danny's been a critic of a lot of it. You've acknowledged that there's stuff there. You don't go from nothing to a trillion dollars in market cap and then all the VC capital and the stuff that's being built around the ecosystem. And at its highs, it was, what, two, three trillion or something mm. like that. Now we're below a trillion. So talk to us a little bit how you're thinking about it. Because again, you're there. But what does the term crypto winter mean to you? <laughs> I've, I've seen a few of them now. So typically Bitcoin, I'll just talk about that briefly. We had the Ethereum merge. Yep. So like the, there was that. Uh, so buy the rumor, sell the fact. That's another another good. So uh, just you know, Trevor's going to be on OK Computer right. early next week, and we're going to talk about the merge. Okay, yeah. great. So I won't say yeah. anything yeah. else. Yeah. Um, don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. Yeah, spoiler. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, Bitcoin to me, I think it went through a few things in my mind, which was, hey, it's a payment thing. It's new money, and I think we all settled on it's digital gold, and I think that's where we've come out at. Um, Does it which, bother you that like real gold is is in the shitter? Not really. I mean, I'm I'm long some long term. Give me term, high five. Come on. But, but All right. because <laughs> F you, Dan. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, and I also own miners, which is stupid. But no, the, I, but I do own physical. You, are, I, uh, you own physical. I'm going to grow yeah. a beard. What, what's like your address? address? Yeah. What's your address? I'm not telling you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I I just think uh, gold. Well, it's actually not worth it for me to like kind of like rob really. you. At this point, You're no, so no, no, no. At this point, where is it, Danny? At fifteen hundred or sixteen? I love your name. I'm just asking. You interrupt. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, it's fine. Digital gold. Back to digital gold. So gold miners. What I was trying to say is Bitcoin is a dollar debasement hedge. It's not an inflation hedge. It's not. It's well, a dollar. Hold on. People thought it was. Were you one of the yeah. people that thought it was? Never did. Okay. Never right. did. Good, good uh, so, um, because I was a currency trader. So I you can know. see the thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it, basically what it was, was free money. Dollars going to zero. We're re-rating the dollar, right? So it was the, the Fed printing. So the Fed anyway, printing. Yeah. yeah. And so when we monetize it, in theory, after this dollar rally is over, in theory, it depends on what everyone else is doing. The dollar should crash. 
it should crash at some stage, like a lot, go down to 60 cents from like 110 or 120, wherever we end up. And so that's what Bitcoin is right now. In, look, it can be other things later on and all the rest of it, but that, I think that's what its primary use is. So until we finish raising, until we finish killing inflation, it's really hard for Bitcoin to rally much more than a bear market rally. I think, yeah, maybe everyone talking 13, 12, 13K is just positioning. And so we'll pop to 25 again or 28. But what does that mean, 12 or 13K on a, so it goes down from a, 350 billion market cap down to 190. What does that mean? I mean like, I'm me, saying, can life. you put a value? No, can you yeah. put a value on it? I'm, I'm, I'm asking a serious question. Yeah. So I think when I started in the Bitcoin game all those years ago, the main thesis was, and it got perverted over time, was that gold was like 5 trillion at the time. It went it was. to 10. 10, yeah, 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 over yeah. time. But then, right? So it's 2011, 2012. And the theory was that, like, look, this could displace some of that market cap. And so could it be like a 3 or 4 trillion market cap asset? And digital gold. And look, we got pretty close on this bull market wave up. But I don't think we're going back there until we have some of the same dynamics. So on the way down, I think 13K, sure. But like I think where you're trying to go with it is why not further? Right. No, I, or why yeah. not? You know, I've like, the difference between 5K, 10K, and 50K. So to be honest, there is no good answer other than I think the Bitcoin community tends to not be shaken out of those longs. So you would need like people to go short and to borrow to really drill it through those. So when I look at Ethereum, and again, I'm not pretend I was never bullish on them. I'm not the guy that says I told you so at all. Believe me, because it's out of my element. But if I think of Ethereum right here as a $160 billion company, there's actually applications and things being built to use it. Bitcoin's not. There's nothing really being done, right? It relates well, you're to talking Bitcoin. about utility and value. The utility and value of Bitcoin is digital gold, meaning in countries and places where their currencies have been debased, like Argentina, or you need to leave Russia because you don't want to go Right, to the but the line. whole reason of it that started was money laundering and back in, you know, uh, ten, well, I'm no. Silk Road. No, I'm saying... Uh, not the no, first, that was not a One of the first use cases. That's a use case. Yeah, but yeah. then right. the internet was porn. But, I mean, like... Yeah. No, but that's great. You know, build whatever. <laughs> cat, whatever. cat photos. More, You're more porn. I'm more cat photos. But here, here's one of the things I would say to you. I actually buy the digital gold. I don't buy the payments aspect. Not, because yeah. here's the thing, and this is a shameless plug. I use current. My kids are off at school. Okay. I don't have a problem. No, I use current. No. <laughs> so do no, I. No, no, I, I use do. current. I also have four for, accounts with current. <laughs> I'm 45 yeah, and never I never FDIC. <laughs> yeah. Not but, a bank. But, 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 not but a not, bank. Not, not. <laughs> no, but my point is, it's like those rails work really well and yeah. it's cheap and, and you know what? And they have a savings account there and you know, all, yeah. all, all that sort of stuff. My point is I never bought the payments thing because, and he's going to say we're well banked here in the U.S. It, it really is in other places. But I do, if you were inclined to buy gold, I'd much rather own Bitcoin in a wallet on my iPhone than physical gold wherever you own it and pay to store it or the GLD. So one last question on this. So I've been harping on Tether since we started this. Okay. There's obviously something wrong there. I mean, it doesn't take – so does that mean anything? Because every time I ask a Bitcoin bull, if this turns out to be a fraud, we know that from an – Attestation perspective, they don't have what they say they have. Okay, no. they have some cash, but they don't have near. And they, they have some. What does bonds. it do? What does that mean? No one can explain to me what that means. If this token, what does it mean? Yeah, so if Tether goes down, kind of thing, like that, literally they like, go like a they go to an island. Event. Yeah, so Bitcoin's going down a lot. So that's going to happen, Stuart. Yep, yeah. yeah. So that's why I said I think I just Dan, still, no, just you know, and he's, I still think he's it's going that down. question, Stuart, of a lot of like long term Bitcoin bulls who will not actually math. admit to that. Right, they don't talk about it. But Stuart, why don't the true Bitcoin, and I know it's here to stay Bitcoin, no matter what the value is. If it's a thousand, oh God, for whatever it's here to stay. 
But why don't people talk about it more, about what it does to the architecture? Because some people say it doesn't mean anything. It's a positive because if that turns out to be a fraud, people will then go buy actual Bitcoin as opposed to buying the Tether. I've got an, an easy answer for this. Please. It's, it's religion. Yeah. And so you. when you have a god, you, you cannot blaspheme and say that. That's a, a great segue because we're going to be talking about Tesla in the next segment. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Working of gods. still public. No LBO coming for that one. Yeah, no, no. But here's the deal. I think it was kind of a really interesting week, and I just saw a stat. So we're a few minutes into the close here. You know, the S&P is going to close down 60 bips or so. The NASDAQ is going to close down a percent. These are two consecutive down days. So the day that the Fed reported and the day after, I don't think that's a common occurrence here. So I think this has to do with the rate breakout. If we didn't see the 10-year do what it did this morning because of the BOJ intervention, stocks would be green right now. Yep. And we would well, actually— green. Bitcoin's up 5%, yeah. and it's not looking at the same. It's correlated, but not looking at the same. And, and that's a really good point, and I think you agree with this, and I know Guy does, is like, keep Bitcoin on your board, no matter whether it's 19000 or thirteen, because when it does stage that rally, it might be saying something about what the Fed's next move is. Especially now, on the Dan, weekends. <laughs> you know, Dan, today's the first when, day. When people don't have other ways to express those Dan, views. did you notice a change in the weather outside? It's cold and rainy. Yeah, what's well, the first day of fall? Everything's changing. We're into a new yeah. new season new here. Paradigm. All right, well, yet. here's the deal. Um, Stuart Sopp, he's a very good friend of mine. He's going to become a good friend of yours, and he's going to be popping in here and doing these sorts of convos because we are just hardcore Wall Street guys. You're like a recovering Wall Street yeah, guy, to get but over. you are a proprietor. And all of these macro issues are really important to the company that you are building and the people that you are serving. So we really appreciate you coming on with us, Stuart Sop on the tape. Danny Moses, you are just in a mood. And I will say this, my friend Tommy, our friend Tommy Vitor, who's been on the pod before, he texted me earlier today. He said, I could almost see Danny Moses <laughs> in this environment with like this weird backlit light looking this and that. I like, I want to end on this point. This is really important. Danny and Guy and myself, we've been unusually bearish, I think, since the day we started this podcast in January of 2021. We've gotten a lot of things right. We've gotten plenty wrong here. And let me tell you something. If you think that we are perma this or perma that or whatever, we take no pride. There are no victory laps because we know that a lot of people who are listening to these podcasts are actually getting hurt on days like today. Absolutely. And so speak to that a little bit, Danny. Yeah, I, it's honestly. not fun. We, we don't like being ridiculed when things are feel really great and we're trying to point out what could go wrong. But when it does go right, we take no joy in it. Porter said it when we were in California. Just a realist. You just got to be a realist here. It's not about being... I would do anything to be bullish. I would love to wake up and be bullish. And there's very few times in the last 13 years, right? Yeah, there's been, that's not a 2022 thing for you, though. I'm I don't think it's right a 2022 thing. Stuart, Stuart to people out there, but Dan, in all seriousness, to your point, like I want to help people with the experience that we have, right. the three of us, and even Stuart coming in here, understanding having traded this yep. stuff before, what we're seeing and make try to make it make sense because that's all we're trying to do yeah. here. Not, there's no, by the way, if you notice, I don't, victory lap, I nope. own up to what I don't. Yep. I just it is what it is. It's a market. And this is what makes a market. And I love the market. It's two-sided. So I keep saying there's going to be a tremendous opportunity on the long side. And I said last week going into the Fed, I go, if there is any rally, which lasted 10 minutes after the Fed, put, use it as a time to sell things that you know yes, you, you shouldn't be in. That. And then same token, when you have sell-offs like this and you know that you have a short, you just don't want to get rid of it because you're, quote, negative, everything has its price. So anyway. Yeah, well, I'll just say this. I hope we're gaining some steam with Vinny and Porter. I think our listeners love when you have one. And I think there's a name that's emerging, some of our listeners. What are we that, doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? So Vinny yeah. Porter, if you're listening, I know you are. Get your asses in the podcast. Yeah, let's studio. go. Let's do Good this thing. All right, Stuart, the final word here, brother. 
I would just like to say, yeah, recovering Wall Street guy turned business builder. And I looked at all the stocks and all the currencies as numbers, as betting. Now I'm on this side and it's real. These are people's real lives. They dedicate their lives to building value and companies for society. And now they're losing. So it's not just the investors, it's the people out these companies. And so it's become very real for me on this side. And it's very humbling to be the long only side. God, it sounds so much better with that accent. Like, I'm in. Yeah. Right, whatever, whatever you say the, next, What about I'll the do. beard in the yeah, – yeah, yeah, That's really good. All right. Well, listen, Stuart, thanks Thank for joining for us, bud. All right. Listen, yeah. when we come back, uh, Danny and I, we have a few bits and bobs to finish up. Maybe your NFL picks. Maybe I'm going to take the other side of one of those. Wow. Uh, we'll see. Get cocky, Danny. All right. Stick around. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro-contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash micros. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry iConnections membership only platform brings together the asset management community, providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually. With an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers, their community oversees an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively. iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt iConnections in New York, taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about iConnections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. All right, we're back. That was fun. Stuart's, Stuart's the man. He's good. Yeah, he's good. All right, let's talk about, we started out by saying, Guy, Sicily, you think he's running for something? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in Europe right now. And I think that one of the things when we talk about, I mean, Stuart mentioned this. I mean, this news, Putin's speech mobilizing 300,000 troops and threatening nuclear war. It all seems like that is the thing that might have this thing mean revert. Does that make sense a little bit? Because I think we made this point, and Vinny made this point last week on the pod, that there could be a coup. And I thought that was a low delta thing or whatever. But back a guy like Putin in the corner, and you're going to sort of get the threats that we got this week. Is that fair? Yeah. 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 I mean, Russia's not backing down. They may not be able to do anything at this point, but not backing down. There's now unrest in Russia, arresting people left and right for all these protests. Yeah. Italy has their elections this weekend. Yep. I don't think anyone's paying – I mean, people are paying attention, but so I don't talk think to, talk to us. So Draghi stepped down. As Draghi part, stepped down. Yeah. We talked about that on yeah. the yeah. market call the other day. I find that ironic since he was running the ECB at the time. Um, so, so, But the risk is that you have a government coalition that is formed, a prime minister that is more far right and then less supportive of the NATO action in Yeah, Ukraine. they can say one thing and do another. We've seen a lot of politicians. I mean, they support Hungary. They support the leadership in Hungary. That yeah. tells you all yeah, you Orban need to know. Real yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's a little scary over there, especially where their economy is going right now and, and where rates are going right now in Italy. They're going to need funding. So if they start to isolate themselves more, I'm no political scientist, but you are not. I am not a political scientist. My point is that, again, you have to start to fact that in when you start to wonder what's going on in the stock market. Is it the be all end all for U.S. earnings? No, but it does create, obviously, a change in risk assets across the globe. 
and to Stuart's point that I think the dollar could crash. Okay, so like for instance, the euro has been under extreme pressure for obvious reasons. But if we were to see some sort of reversion, if we were to see things kind of chill out a little bit, okay, let's talk a little bit about Germany here. Obviously, you see lots of headlines on the table. What Macron's saying about in France about energy. The UK has talked about subsidizing or putting caps on energy. What's Germany doing here? They nationalized Uniper, which is like one of the largest power companies, right? So they can make sure that they can get the power that they need and the natural gas that they need so for the winter put that season. In some sort of context here. Here's a fully, really well functioning capitalist country nationalizing one of their largest energy companies. Putting in $8 billion into the company. And that's a lot of money, right? Because they have to make sure. So So would you call this, is this on the scale of TARP sort of action? I mean, yeah. I mean, listen, you're not doing it for the stock market, right? You're not doing it to the banks that function. You're doing it so that your consumers are okay because there's going to be unrest. I mean, they see what's going to happen here. And so a lot of things have to go right, I guess, Dan, is what I'm saying, in Europe for things to stabilize. And that's I think that's too much to ask over a short period of time. So I just think that's one of those things you have to factor in when you look at the global macro picture of what's going on. Does it impact every company in the U.S.? No. Does it impact a lot of the multinationals? Yes. Because if you're the CEO of a big U.S. multinational company, right, and you're looking at European business, what's your business in Italy? What's your business in Germany? Do I have a factory in Germany? As a matter of fact... European factories are are now shutting down and they're coming here to the U.S., right? They're now manufacturing the U.S. Great for labor. It's also inflationary. It's exactly right. So I'm just saying there's a lot of stuff going on. China, Taiwan. Listen, there's always stuff going on, but it just feels impossible right now. No doubt. All right. Before we get to your NFL picks and what I might take the other side of, just real quickly, I had Carter Braxton Worth on the market call today with me and... We're talking about the S&P 500 a little bit, and right now, where we close today at 37.64, we're down about 12.5% from that August 16th high, and we're down 21% on the year. And if you look at that June low at 36.30, you look at the July low, it's like 37.20. I mean, if you're pressing stocks here, I just want to be really careful that pressing stocks here is not a great trade. I just want to tell you What did Carter say on the S&P? Well, he kind of agreed with me that 100-point range between the July and the June lows, you could see some pretty decent support. That would be down more than about 15% or so. And then you got to wait for a bounce. And I got to tell you, because there is no Fed meeting in October... And we're really going to be focused on the micro as far as earnings. That's really where we could see if earnings are not bad or as bad because estimates have been coming down. And we saw this in Q2. This is what sparked the rally in the summer because estimates had come down, companies beat lowered estimates, and then we started rallying because people thought it wasn't as bad as it could So, yes, it's important to look at the S&P 500 in its entirety. But you made the case earlier in the show, and you continue to make the case, that you have five or six companies that still comprise a large amount, and those companies are expensive and all this stuff. Again, it's the stock picking. So when you start to look, stop looking at the 3,700 on the S&P. Yes, it will control the money flows. It will do all that. But someone like a Kathy Wood at ARK, I mean, if you own that ETF, you're an idiot. I'm sorry, you're an idiot, okay? Because she's out there begging the Fed to stop for different reasons than other yeah, people because she yeah. knows that her- And okay, she's been begging I'm sorry, them to but not- I don't mean to be yeah, rude, no, but it, right. it, is, it is what it is. It's just because you're not doing your work because those aren't the things that are gonna bounce. You have to get over this- the days of stocks being able to go up 50, 100% on nonsense. And by the way, while we're talking about this with the SEC, who does absolutely nothing, who rumors came out today that they're going to do nothing again about payment for order flow again and all this stuff, it's just a joke already. And that to me is upsetting too. That's a whole nother segment we'll do again. But in general, no one's out there looking out for you is my point. Nobody. You know what they look out for you? 
when these stocks are down 90%. Oh, let's file a suit. What did this company do? Oh, they were projecting this. Oh, this CEO is making shit up. Oh, this, uh, that's when they help. They don't help now. So you got to do your own work and be smart, but know what you are. I've actually bought a bunch of the stocks that are down 90%. No, I'm long Snap. I'm long Shop. I bought a little Lyft recently. Um, I bought a little Zoom, believe it or not. I mean, some of these stocks have been actually... But that being said, I short the QQQ tactically here, okay? like So to me, I'm on board, but those stocks to me are kind of getting washed out. If we ever had a meaningful rally because people feel we're going to pivot the way we did this summer, I own PayPal. I bought a little Nike today. I fully expect to kind of... Average in, I'm long CME. I'm long a little fact set I bought today. Remember the game on, on the Price yeah. is Right yeah. where we were kids when you fake sick? No way. So no no Not that one. No, that's oh. a different show. Oh, yeah. Where that red range would go up into yeah, the yeah. levels. Yeah. You have to yeah. say stop yeah. in that range. You just did that? No. Oh. Well, stop. But the whole thing about this 3,600, 4,200, the red thing has moved yeah. down now. Okay. I agree. So it's 3,400, 3,900 probably. My point is this. You're not missing anything in this tape I own. it. My point is that you don't have to run out and buy the market here is right, my point. Right, but I'm You're short saying, Q, I'm short Tesla, and I just bought the GOVT, the U.S. Treasury ETF, and I'm short yeah, you got to do something. I'm the, 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 I the dollar. It. So think about that. I'm like, I'm kind of hedged, so I'm trying to pick some stock. You just said, know what you own. No, and, I like it. I'm not disagreeing. Stocks. I guess my point is that stop obsessing on the levels of No, the but S&P. I'm a trader, and I have fun doing this. All right, let's talk a little bit before we get out of here, NFL. Um, so what's your record on the year? Two and three. I already have as many losses as I did through That's week crazy. 12. I know. Now, and, and I'm 2-0 against you, which is kind of weird. Guy's not around. It's, right. I need Just to mojo. reset the stage here. I was down 10 Gs, taking the other side yep. of your bets last year yep. when you went 27-3. Or 27-5. I don't know. Whatever. Oh, was it? I've been I don't know. Whatever. It's against fine. the line in the NFL. Yep. Okay. So what are you doing this week and why? And then I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do against you. All right. God bless the Jets. Love you, Vinny. But they had no right to win that game. Browns suck. Bengals are coming in 0-2 and, and thirsty, right? They're laying six on the Jets. Whatever Jets number at it would home. be, I take the Bengals over the Jets. That's one. That's an easy one. Okay. I'm going to, this third week in a row, I'm going after Tom Brady. As a favorite, remember, I won't bet against him as an underdog, but that line opened up at two and a half. Buccaneers favored over the Packers. It's down to one and a half. I think the Packers actually win that game outright, but I'm a buyer of the Packers plus one and a half in Tampa. That's your four o'clock national game on Sunday. And the last one is the Cardinals getting three and a half at home against the Rams. The Rams almost let Atlanta come back and win that game. Again, I'm always a believer in shorting the Super Bowl winner into the next year, but Cards may have found something last week in that miracle win that they pulled off in Vegas. So I'll take the Cardinals plus three and a half, the Packers plus one and a half, and the Bengals laying six against the New York Jets. All right, do you remember Chris Berman? Of course. The Bay of Pigs. Yeah. It was Tampa Bay versus... Green Bay. Yep. I'm going to take Tampa Bay at home minus one and a half over the Packers for 500. Got it. Done. All right. Yeah. All right. Listen, people, we had a lot of fun. That was Stuart Stop, Danny Moses. Next week, we are going to have Guy Dami back yeah. with us. Thank so, God. So stick around. Thanks for listening. Hey, you know, leave us a review or something in the podcast stores. People like it. Thanks again to our presenting sponsors, CME Group, iConnections, and FactSet. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show, and we also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com. Derivatives are not suitable for all investors and involve the risk of losing more than the amount originally deposited and any profit you might have made. This communication is not a recommendation or offer to buy, sell, or retain any specific investment or service.